0: I've always loved scripture. I just memorize and hang on with my fingernails to what God's promises. And one of them, Psalm 54: for God is my refuge. He is the one who sustains me. I would say, well, I'm still here. It's got to be God's grace.
1: Our guest today on First Person: Gerard Long, director of Alpha USA. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to our weekly program, which explores the personal stories of people who've had an encounter with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to sharing Gerard's powerful story with you today. We're here every week at this time in conversation with a guest, and if you ever miss a program, each interview is available online, either through streaming at FirstPersonInterview.com or as a podcast on iTunes. Either way, you'll find us easily. And while you're online, you can check out the schedule of upcoming guests and topics at FirstPersonInterview.com. Alpha is an opportunity to explore the Christian faith in a small group setting and learn more about the Bible and the person of Jesus. It has grown worldwide over the past few years, and in the U.S., the director of Alpha is Gerard Long, who came to the studio recently. His story of how he came to the U.S. as a businessman and ended up in ministry is one you have to hear. The first thing I noticed about Gerard is that his accent is definitely not American.
0: I, uh, I'm i a Brit, uh, although I'm half American now. <laughs> I, I have my green card, and I'm on the process of getting American citizenship. But you know, I was I was in the U.K., uh, for most of my life, I've been over here the last ten years. Uh, grew up on the south coast, and then and then in London for for twenty two years before coming over to the United States.
1: You came here as a businessman.
0: I did. I was in banking for thirty years, and with HSBC. And uh, first came to New York to launch a global product, and then they asked me to do the integration between HSBC and Household Finance, and that brought me over to
1: Chicago. So you worked for one of the world's largest banks, then.
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was and a, you had a pretty
1: prominent position.
0: Yep. Uh, and I was involved with very interesting projects, things like Millennium Bar, Y2K in in the in London and uh, for the UK. And then, of course, through integrations of big companies, uh, bringing them together. Uh, had a great career. Took me around the world. It was, it was a
1: fantastic time. When did you become a Christian?
0: Well, I actually came to the law when I was about five years old. My, I remember my sister, it was very clear, uh, kneeling beside her bed, asking Jesus uh, to, be, to forgive my sins, to come into my life and be my good shepherd. And, leave me. and that was, I believe that was a very genuine uh, conversion experience. So I went through all the, the good things in a Christian home. Uh, I went to church, uh, went to Bible study, went to Christian camps, and uh, I, I learned those things. But then in my mid-teens, really, uh, I had never really made Jesus Lord of my life. And I realized I was talking about Jesus in religious education classes. And my friends were looking at me thinking, what's this going on about? Because I wasn't living it. So I thought the last thing I want to do is to put people off, be a hypocrite. And so I sort of made a deal with the Lord and said, Lord, you don't mind if you, if you go in the back seat now, as it were, and I'll, <laughs> I'll take the steering wheel of my life. And I went headlong into the world and uh, actually running. Uh, I was a 100-meter, 1,500-meter run, and became my god. I ate it, slept it, drank it. Hmm. And got to a pretty high level um, went to a top uh, college, uh, athletics college with people like Sebastian Coe, who's a double Olympic champion. Mm-hmm. And others in the team became captain of the track team. And was really heading that way to, to try and make things out for my own life. And then my my brother, in my last year at college, my brother had been into the drug scene, wrote to me and said, Jared, I know you've got a plan for your life, but I want you to know that God's got a plan for your life made out of
1: perfect love." Really? So he had a dramatic turnaround. He
0: did as well. And yeah. he
1: turned around and told you about yes, it. Yes, he did, yeah. And you had a turnaround.
0: Yeah. F- uh, February the 14th, 1980, I was sitting at my desk reading, and these words were going through my minds, and it was as so though the Lord spoke to me. It wasn't audible, but it was clear inside and I just felt the Lord say to me, look, Gerard, if you, if you go my way, you may not get the things on the outside you've been looking for, but inside I'll give you quality of life. Mm-hmm. And I got it. And at that moment I just surrendered my life completely to the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, it's, I'm all yours now, whatever you want. There was no one else around, there was no Christian music, anything. It was like God was in that room. And this sort of liquid love came pouring into my heart and I, and I, and I wept. I was a captain of the track team, one of the lads, but I wept like a baby. And it was like God, God just coming close to me, and I four things happened. I fell head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. I couldn't put the Bible down. I had to go and tell my friends what had happened, and I stopped swearing overnight as <laughs> well. So it was a, it was a sort of refreshing and cleansing inside. And from that moment, I, all I wanted was for the real Jesus, people to meet the real Jesus, his glory to be seen, desperate to, for other folks to come to meet him.
1: Your mum must have thought her prayers had been answered, huh
0: oh yeah, I have wonderful christian parents they they love the law. they go back, and my ancestors go back to the huguenots actually and uh and so a good good heritage and uh, they were praying obviously for me, and so uh, yeah, they were very very very
1: gracious uh with with me and through that time so you're a Christian and you're a businessman, and you come to the u s to do a good job and w- what happened? something happened here obviously
0: well yeah i I came over to Chicago. And in 2004, so everything was going incredibly well. I remember saying to my wife, Jeannie, does, does it get any better than this? I, I love the Lord. I love my wife. I had three wonderful children. Uh, I was earning a fortune as an expat over here working for a major bank, an amazing house. Does it get any better than this? Uh, but I'd always, always prayed, Lord, use me for whatever you want. Uh, break me down. if you, Whatever's necessary, I want your kingdom to come through this vessel.
1: Dangerous prayer.
0: Yeah, it is a dangerous prayer. Um, but I suppose I've always been the way I'm wired is hundred percent. I don't want to do things in half measures. And so I, I, I in two thousand four as so though the Lord spoke to me that he was gonna be doing a deep work in my life. And you know, from that moment on the wheels started to fall off.
1: You knew ahead of time something was coming.
0: I did. I did. Yeah, and I remember it was it was a clear uh sense of God speaking to me about that. And so from work, I, I got betrayed by a couple of guys, um, uh, which is a painful time. My, my dog died at the beginning of 05. Any dog lovers understand <laughs> yeah. that? You know, it's, a, it's another level of brokenness. Yes, Someone very close to me uh, was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which leads to, to blindness. You know, it came out of the blue. Um, and then the, the bottom of the valley was in November of 2005. Our youngest son, Alex, who was a, a brilliant guy, uh, knew, knew the Lord, uh, great athlete. Uh, ended up taking a drug, got very uh, dis- delusional and confused, and ended up taking his own life, oh. committing suicide. And oh. it was just the most painful period you can imagine. Uh, we we wept and wept. Um, I can't till you, ha- till you have no tears left. How old was he? Seventeen years old.
1: Seventeen. He was your youngest son. He was
0: our youngest son. Yeah. My wife lost her faith for two years, um, and she was utterly, utterly broken. And then two months after that, it was, like a, it was like Job, it was just one thing after the other. Two months after that, my sister, who'd led me to the law when I was young, uh, I got a phone call from my brother in the UK saying, you better get over to the UK, uh, Jax is about to, to die. So we, Jeannie and I just wept, broke down the kitchen floor, wept again. And I said, well, can you ask her to ho- hang on till I get over there? I want to I see her before she passes. And uh, so I raced over to the UK, went down to the hospice where she was, and she was just alive. I'd heard she'd said before that I won't make it through the night, but by God's grace and our love, we were very close. She, she was just there still. Her eyes were up in her head, she, just the whites of her eyes, and just the last breaths. And I was able to, they say the last sense to go is hearing. I was able to speak to her and say how oh, much I loved her and appreciated her. And then with an, with an hour of, of, of arriving, she had passed. But oh. just before she went, her eyes, from being just the white suddenly she's peering, looking out. And my mother, who's a very godly woman, said... I know what's going on. She's seen Jesus, and then and then she was gone. And you know, through that brokenness, my my theory is that it, it, Ecclesiastes says eternity is tied up in the heart of a man. Through that brokenness, I I sort of got eternity. I understood it. I saw it, and uh, it became so clear to me that this life is, as the Scripture says, a vapor. But we're here on a mission, and while we're here, God wants us to be about that mission of reaching out to those who don't know Him, who are lost and broken. Now, Jesus said that the reason the Son of Man came was to seek out and save that which is lost. And then he said, as I was sent, so I send you. So, you know, I wanted to be in heaven at that stage. I was so broken. John fourteen two. Jesus said, where I am that you may be also. So he wants me there. I want to be there. Why am I still here? What's my purpose here now? Exactly. And then I sort of think, well, you know, the, the, the burden of my heart then was church. You know, what, what are we about? What are we doing here, Really? If it's not carrying on this great mission that Jesus has given us, it's just to reach out for those who are lost and broken and introduce
1: them to Jesus Christ. Which led to another change in your life, but couldn't couldn't you stay as a businessman and have that sense of eternity in your heart?
0: I could have done, and I, you know I was very much involved in Christian work in the bank. we used to run alpha in in the bank in the in the boardroom in conference rooms, and all, and I saw many folks come to know Jesus in that time nothing but wrong with that Mr. nothing wrong with that no I'm, I'm a great believer in faith. wherever we are, we should be living out our christian our Christian faith. But then in, in 2006, I met the chairman of Alpha USA on a business trip to London, and he said, we've been looking for someone with organizational planning skills and people who knew Alpha. I've been running Alpha for many, many years, and it was a perfect fit. So it took me six months to get out. I was on an executive scheme. Did he recruit you, or did he just casually mention that and your ears perked up? Well, I think it was a bit of both, really. Okay. He was looking, they were looking for someone, and, and it just fit. I knew that, there was, again, another change was coming. I, I'd sensed that, that God was taking me out of banking. And so at the end of 06, I, I left the bank. They actually gave me a sabbatical, which took me up to 50. The first year I was working for Alpha, I was actually technically a, a bank employee. Uh, it took me to 50. I took early retirement. And uh, that enabled me to draw down on my pension and I could pay off some of my mortgage, which sure. means we didn't have to move house. Yep. God just made a way. Huh. After a 70% drop in salary, you know, I thought we were going to have to move house. I didn't want to do that because my wife was in, in, in a state of brokenness. And so that was a shift mm-hmm. from profit, to nonprofit.
1: <laughs> I want to talk more about Alpha coming up, but, uh, but your wife's name is Jeannie. Jeannie, uh, tell me just briefly. I mean, you said she lost her faith after your son's death.
0: Yeah, she she just couldn't reconcile. Um, after we were serving the law for twenty four years in London, in, in London, helping people, broken people. Uh, she just she just couldn't see how a loving God
1: could allow alex to pass in the most horrendous way anyone who's lost a child I'm, I'm told and i've observed goes through yeah very deep valleys yeah and
0: and she you know she's always been absolutely honest and and she'd say if he'd been killed in an accident that would have been awful but that the suicide was just so horrific and so horrible because it comes with it a sense of terrible blame mm-hmm. and satan of course gets in the back of what that what could i have done exactly right and it was a horrible horrible uh way of passing but Praise God, over the over the last seven years, God's been doing amazing work in Jeannie, and she's now walking with the Lord again. And, you know, her heart is that she she wants to take what has been evil and turn it for good. And she says, I want to kick Satan in the teeth, so to speak. <laughs> she wants to see as many people come to know Jesus as Excellent. she can.
1: But that had to be hard on you to have your wife and to watch and... Try to console your wife through that time.
0: I, I many times when I, I said, Lord, I can't do this anymore, I was trying to love her, and, 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 but it was, it was hard because she, she hated herself. She hated me. Mm. She hated God. And so weekends used to be horrendous. She used to sort of offload on me. And, 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 I, and that's where you know it's grace alone because I would say, Lord, I can't, but if you want me to, you're going to have to help me. And uh, one of the, I, I just hang on to scripture. In fact, someone sent me, every day they sent me an anonymous postcard with love on one side and a scripture on the other. <laughs> and I, I, I've always loved scripture. I just memorise and hang on with my fingernails <laughs> to what God's promises. And one of them, Psalm 54, 4, God is my refuge. He is the one who sustains me. And uh, by, by God's grace, he does, doesn't he? He, he, he keeps us going. I, and I would say, well, I'm still here. It's got to be God's grace. Because <laughs> I'd say
1: I can't. But, but he can through us if we let him. Well, there's more to Gerard Long's story, and it's coming up on the second half of today's First Person. Next week on First Person, you'll meet the U.S. President of Operation Mobilization. Part of what
0: OM has done for thousands over the years is being able to give them some basic training and put them in a situation where they can actually practice that and find out, yes, I can do this. Make a few mistakes, but you learn from it, and God can use, uh, again, that effort.
1: The story of the worldwide ministry of Operation Mobilization from Andrew Scott. Next time on First Person. My guest today on First Person is Gerard Long. Gerard is president, executive director. What? Um, what is the title?
0: Executive director, president. Okay. I get called general, general
1: secretary. Uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> of uh, Alpha USA, and uh, it's been exciting to sit down and hear your story and to see how God has taken you uh, through life and sustained you and proven Himself faithful to you. Yeah, he, he's he's wonderful, and
0: I I understand grace so much more now. that When you boil it all down, it's it's all God we live and move and have our being in Him. And and really, when you realize that, all you can say is yes and
1: thank you. When you look back on such a a devastating thing, the death of a child has to be the worst thing that can happen to someone. How do you look at it now? I mean, in in terms of preparing you for the ministry you have now?
0: Well, you know, I I had to wrestle with my faith. I had to wrestle with the promises of God. And I had to look, look at it in that context. And what, what changed it, Wayne, for me really was, if you just see it in, in this life's context, it made no sense. But when you put the context of eternity against it, it flipped it completely. Then you can start to see, you know, Paul said in Romans eight eighteen, 18, our current sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 16, it says, we, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And so when you put the eternal aspects into into things, everything changes. And now you're living for the things above, not the things of this earth. And so I say, I used to say to Jeannie, Jeannie, look, yes, of course we miss Alex now. We are desperately miss him. But I, I believe Jesus said he's no debtor to anyone. What you give up on this earth, you'll, you'll receive a hundredfold now and through eternity. Our relationship with Alex through eternity is going to be that much greater because Jesus has said that. And so when you look at it like that, it changes because eternity goes on forever. Yeah. This life is a vapor. So it changes completely how you view view your life here.
1: And I wish listeners could see the smile on your face as you say that. Yeah. You yeah. you believe that. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I've had to wrestle with it and work it through through tears and brokenness. Mm. But I get it. I understand it. And, you know, C.S. Lewis has a great quote. If you look through history, the, the Christians had most impact on the current world are those who have their eyes on the next. So, that, So the early Christians, the... Uh, evangelicals through the middle ages wilberforce they all had such an impact on this current life because they had their eyes on the next true and then he said uh it's since we've taken our eyes off heaven that we've become so ineffective on earth and then he ends up by saying we if we fix our eyes on heaven we get earth thrown in if you fix our eyes on earth you get neither you you miss it out completely (laughs) and that i think sums it up you know jim elliott he is no fool he gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose Jesus, fit, you know, build up yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and, uh, and thieves don't break in, and that—that
1: that all came very real to you.
0: Oh, absolutely, and and you know, like the Scripture talks about our life being a vapor; it's relative to eternity, it's a blink of an eye. And when you see that, how
1: could you? How could you live for anything down here? It Makes no sense <laughs> to live for anything down here. So it makes perfect sense to give up the big salary and all the perks that come with being a senior vice president of yep. a major bank, and to become the. Uh, the president of a little nonprofit yes. uh, Christian organization that lives by faith. What, what was that transition like for you?
0: Well, I, it was so much in the sweet sort of my heart, which is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. And that's the heart of Alpha. And I've been running Alpha in, in London. Uh, started off in our home. We ran it for five years in our home in London. Three times a year. So it's 30 weeks. When of you the, say you ran
1: Alpha, you literally had people into your home yep. and were teaching yes. the Bible.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, Alpha can be used anyway. It's basically an introduction to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it's, a, it's so relevant for today because it's, it's conversational, it's relational. And people today want to ask questions. I think it was a Wheaton graduate who added up all the questions Jesus asked, something like 278. He only really answered three. But he asked... 307 questions. <laughs> who do people say that I am? Who do I say that I am? Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you say that I am? He was always asking questions. And so that's how Alpha is based. It's based around l- allowing people to be honest and open. So we start with a meal. We have people into our home. We have a meal together, get to know them. And these would be people off the street, many, many of them, drug addicts, alcoholics, uh, all sorts of folks, uh, get to know them. Then, Then there would be a talk on some aspects of the Christian faith, who is Jesus? Why did Jesus die? How can I be sure of my faith? How and why do we read the Bible? How and why do we pray? So some elements of the teachings of Jesus. And then the third part of the evening would be a discussion. And that's the Socratic teaching part where we, we ask questions. How, how do you feel about Jesus dying on the cross for you? How does that make you feel? And it's amazing to see the Holy Spirit working in a group with different backgrounds and folks coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Alpha started in the UK. It did. It started a little, at an Anglican church in, in London called Holy Trinity Brompton mm-hmm. in the 70s, actually, and it was a 101 discipleship course aimed at people inside the church. And then Nikki Gumbel, who had been an atheist through through university, went to Cambridge University, came to faith in Jesus, had been a lawyer, ended up becoming a, a, a vicar, actually, in the Anglican church, he uh, noticed that Christians were bringing their non Christian friends along to this 101 to subject course and they were coming to faith in Christ. And he had a sort of a ha-ha moment think, there's a format here that's relevant for today's culture. And so he rewrote the, the course, aimed at people outside the church now. And then he sent the curriculum to 40 different denominations. And he said to them, is there anything in here that you don't agree with? And it was zero. <laughs> And that's one of the beauties of Alpha. It goes across all denominations, mm-hmm. from Orthodox to Catholic to Protestant. This surely is John 17, where Jesus said, you know, my glory is given that they may be one, even as we are one, that the world might know.
1: Our own church is using it, so I, I know. Yeah. But uh, for someone to get involved in Alpha, I mean, it can be kind of scary to think we're going to sit down and, you know, study the Bible together. Yeah.
0: Well, it, we actually say, and this is the beauty. If you, look again, look back to the teachings of Jesus, look back to Scripture— you see the the first few chapters of Acts and you see the, the blueprint really of how we should be doing things today. Jesus had come back for six weeks. He'd opened up the scripture to them. He showed them the things to come. But he said, guys, you're not quite you're not ready because you've got to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And the key aspect of one of the key aspects of Alpha is, guys, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. He's the one who empowers us to be witnesses. So we don't try and uh, force people or put any pressure on it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit who does this. And then you see in Acts 3 and 4, Peter and John, and we're told that they were uneducated, ordinary people, <laughs> um, and, and they were basically laying their lives down so that people could, people could actually come to know Jesus. And what Alpha does is it equips people who maybe haven't been to seminary, people who are just ordinary, everyday folk, and it gives them the ability to bring their friends and families and relatives to meet with Jesus Christ. So we encourage people, hey, don't have all the answers. All you need to do is to love people. Be, be hospitable to it. Be warm and friendly and, and welcoming. Um, they're going to hear the gospel in the talk. And then when it comes to the discussion, you're just going to be asking questions. Not to have all the answers. You're just going to be asking questions. Let the Holy Spirit take what's been heard in the talk and convince people. And we, we hear amazing. So one week there's, they're all disagreeing. They come back the following week. They say, do you know what? Didn't see it last week, but somehow I see it now. Well, guess who's been working? Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit.
1: If I'm just one person uh, in the church, uh, what can I do to, to get involved with Alpha? What difference can I make?
0: Well, you can make a huge difference because uh, if, if every, and I, this is what gets me excited, because I think of the early church, they turned the world upside down. It only started with 120, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they turned the world upside down. And I'm thinking in churches today, if just 50% of the congregation would start living this, inc- we call it an incarnational lifestyle, where 24-7 we're thinking, who is it the woman at the well or is up a tree? Who is it that God's bringing into our lives? Relatives, friends, neighbours, work colleagues. We've got loads of people, all of us around us. But we're frightened. Yeah, well, because I, I, think, I think what's happened when is that we've, taking the E word. <laughs> and we've, we've misunderstood really what God, God's love means in sharing
1: it. You, you know, mean God, evangelism. Yeah, exactly. Evangelism. I don't hear you talking about a program as much as I hear you talking about helping us to naturally yeah. share our faith and study the word together. Th-
0: this is DNA. This is, this is a lifestyle which I believe Jesus showed. He modeled it for us and he passed it on to the, on to the early Christians. We see that in the Acts of the Apostles. This is getting us back to, to the scriptural basis of living out our faith uh, amongst people who are lost and broken with the love of God. And I think that's one of the key things we, we, we teach on Alpha is, look, what do we see in Romans 5.5? The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And then we have God's heart for those people around us who are broken. And we see and we hear and, and our hearts break for them. And that, so it's a natural flow from that, that we want to come alongside people. And, and so
1: we're desperate for churches to hear about it and get, get on board. Gerard's story is a good example of how we never know what life will bring, often both joy and sorrow, but the Lord can use it all for his glory. Well, if you'd like additional information about the Alpha course and how it offers you both an introduction to the faith and a deeper understanding of the Bible, please visit us online at FirstPersonInterview.com. We have links to Alpha on our website to tell you more about this effective evangelism and discipleship tool. Again, that's FirstPersonInterview.com. We also have a Facebook page, and here's a recent comment from a listener. I love listening to your show on my way home from work. It's so inspiring to hear the stories of all your guests. Thanks to that listener, and I hope you'll visit us at facebook.com forward slash first person interview. Once again, facebook.com forward slash first person interview. Next week, we'll talk with the U.S. President of Operation Mobilization, Andrew Scott. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person.